Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas, and welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and... Ashley. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Ashley, I got to be true, real with you. I was just watching that HBO show, The Last of Us, and I, my blood pressure is so high. I am so stressed out. The Last out. of should, Us. Yeah, it's like some crazy zombie show, and so nobody should oh. watch it if you're stressed, okay? Yeah. That's not what we need don't. right now. Um, but Ash, it's so good to see you. I'll get to give you an it's actual hug in real person, real life this week. Um, I know, I can't wait. Can you share with everyone what's what's big in your life and happening this week? Oh, well, right before this episode, I actually got off the phone with the nurse at our hospital. Silas has a tonsillectomy tomorrow. So we are prepping and getting all the things ready. We tried to prep like as many meals and clean our house now so that we don't have to think about that this week. Yeah. Um, but we just found out it's at 9.45 tomorrow morning. Oh my so God. yeah, so it's we're excited because it's something that needs to happen. But of course, mm-hmm. really nervous to send him to surgery too. So yeah. Well, I love you. I'm very excited for you guys to get this taken care of because I know it's a big deal um, for little ones, and I know it'll be a big change and really help him through cold and flu seasons in the future. Um, mm-hmm. And also, I know so many of any of all the members of our community know what it's like to have kids like readmitted and have to go to the hospital for surgeries and procedures. And it, um, on one hand, gets easier because you get stronger, but on the other hand, it's it's a tender spot no matter what. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. I have I, my Dear Nikki Mama sweatshirt ready. Yep. yep. I'm wearing I, my You Are Braver Than You Feel one tomorrow. <laughs> I will be there two days later, and I will bring, like, three Red Baron frozen pizzas and a thing of Panda <laughs> Express. We will eat ourselves into oblivion. It's just Cannot what wait. the doctor word. <laughs> Cannot wait. Well, um, today on the podcast, as you know, sometimes we have the opportunity to interview experts in the field of neonatology or obstetrics or maternal mental health and other times we get to interview NICU mamas, just like you listening, um, about their experiences. And today we get a two for one deal. And it's actually incredible because it's not only women that we've gotten the pleasure of interviewing before, um, but also just like key members of the NICU community and Mm -hmm. um, these incredible advocates who write beautifully on their social media pages, have started organizations, are authors, um, we'd love to uh, say hello to Ebony Ford and Karina Fly. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> um, we're so excited. I don't even know where to start these two. I, it's been, we were just talking before we hopped on about, it's crazy that we've like kind of all known each other now for years. And mm. you, in my head, I always <laughs> see the picture, like Ebony, I 
and whenever I think of you, I think of the picture of you like holding rain on your chest. Mm-hmm. And first of all, your makeup and hair look flawless in that picture. So I can never, <laughs> I always think about that. But I know she's like a full grown kid now who's up to a bunch of mm-hmm. mischief. So it's just wild. <laughs> it's a pleasure to know you guys. Um, but yeah, Ash, where do you think we should even begin with these two wonderful women? Oh, I agree. It's hard to even know where to start. I do want to preface that if you are just hopping into season six of this podcast, kind of our theme for the season has been all about building our families after NICU. And we know that this conversation, this topic is it's going to look so different for all of us. Mm-hmm. But we're really excited to have Ebony and Karita here because they both have very beautiful journeys um, and they both happen to be expecting <laughs> after their NICU journey. So not only do we get to hear a refresh of their personal stories, but also of the process of what it has looked like to getting to where they are today. So um, if you are tuning in for the first time, we have other remarkable stories of women who decided to be done having kids, women who decided to try again or had NICU experiences or no NICU experiences after their first. And so um, we just are really honored to have you guys here today to join in the conversation as you guys are both just huge voices, as Martha said, in the NICU community. So Maybe let's start a little bit of just kind of giving our moms a refresh of who you guys are and um, what made you guys NICU mamas in the first place. Mm So, Karita, do you want to kick us off? Sure, I will start. Um, Thank you guys for having me, first of all. It is incredible to be back on this platform with you all, and especially with Ebony. Like you said, both of our journeys have just kind of been parallel to each other without even trying. So (laughs) um, this is incredible. Um, I am mom to Isaac, who is a 26-weeker. He's five now, so it kind of feels crazy to even be here in this space talking about this because I can't believe it was five years ago. Um, But he was born early due to me having an incompetent cervix. So I had a shortened cervix. They gave me a cerclage um, to try to hold it. And to some standards, the cerclage didn't work. But for me, in my opinion, it did work because it held long enough for me to give birth to a living child. We made it to viability. And for me, that was more than enough. Um, That was my hope. And so he did come early, 116 days in the NICU. Um, But today, like I said, he is in preschool. He's five and he is doing absolutely amazing. Hmm. So he's also cute as a button too. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> thank also, you. Oh my gosh. He looks, he's like the spitting image of you. I think it'd be so fun to have a kid that looks like you. I don't have one. So thank you, genetics. For, for probably the first three days he was in the NICU, everybody kept saying that he looked like his dad. And yep. I was like, he doesn't even look like anything. I mean, yeah. and I, I'm not, let's be real here. When you give birth to a micro preview, it's not like you could see their features, but I mean, it's yeah. not really like, yeah. it's not no. like he really yeah. doesn't look like anything. So the fact that he grew to be my twin has just been yes. so much fun for me. Yes, that's so awesome. Ebony, maybe you and I have twins in personality with our girls. Yeah, yes. that's about all. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's about all I got from her. That's Daddy's baby for sure. Yeah. Well, Ebony, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey with Miss Rain. Sure. So I had my daughter, Rain Victoria, at 26 weeks. She weighed one pound, 15 ounces, and she was born early due to me having HELP syndrome. So HELP syndrome is what caused her to come early. We did 80 days in the NICU, and um, she has come home, and it has been the most beautifully chaotic 
hectic, <laughs> uh, but miraculous journey ever since we call her Hurricane Rain because that's what <laughs> life has been like since she's come into it. Um, she's definitely the rainbow um, after that hurricane, though, mm-hmm. so it's been beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Y'all have to go follow um, uh, Ebony on social media, though, because she posts some funny stuff about, about like, toddler <laughs> life that, you know, I guess – we're not ta- our kids are toddlers too much anymore. I guess they're heading into that, yeah, those those days. Five next month. That is still absurd to me. Uh, crazy. Oh, it's so nuts. Um, and uh, but but she is just a spitfire. She's got lots of pizzazz and personality, fashion sense for days. So you were just talking about it. Um, <laughs> and I I love the way that uh, you guys let her be who she is too. It's like it's really <laughs> wonderful. Um. And I think the other thing that's incredible about you both is not only did you have these experiences, you've shared your personal experiences so powerfully, but then you both went on to like create some incredible things afterwards. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, maybe we can start with you, Ebony. You have, um, not only are you like a graduate student, right? A postgraduate student. You, you know, work and a full-time mom, obviously. And then there's, you founded the Miracle Mamas Network. Um, You have a huge social media following. You've been a you know, um, a March of Dimes ambassador, um, and advocate. Can you talk about like, what was the impetus for you to kind of follow through in those ways, start those organizations, you know, become who you are in the community? Well, let's be clear. I did not come onto social media for any of that. I started the Rain page as like a video diary for our family and our friends during our Mm -hmm. journey so that they could stop calling my phone 150 times per day. (laughs) They could see that she was okay and um, just follow along. But I had no clue that there were other pages, you know, of preemies that there were Mm. parents who were looking for, you know, testimonials of other people. And so I was using hashtags just haphazardly. I didn't know what I was doing. Hashtag 26 weeker, hashtag NICU baby, whatever. And families found us. And what went from about 100 family and friends within like mm-hmm. a month or two turned to like 3,000 followers. And I was like, yeah. what is going on here? Why are you talking <laughs> to this page? And so we left NICU and, you know, I was looking for something, for somebody to talk about life after NICU and nobody was yeah. talking about it. So I said, well, look, if I'm going to post, I'm going to post like the real, raw, honest truth of what this is like the appointments, the, you know, worries, colds aren't colds with, you know, micro premiums. I'm just going to tell the truth and mm-hmm. whatever happens, happens. And little did I know living out loud attracted other people to my page who began to ask questions. And as I began working with March of Dimes, I did the commercial and the print ads and even more traffic came to the page. And then came the blogs yeah. who sent more people. And before I realized it, I had eyes on me and I had a decision to make. I could keep just sharing my experience as it is, or I can use these experiences to educate those who are looking for what I was looking for. Um, My situation, I felt very blindsided. I didn't have any warning. There were no medical issues. I didn't know of any chance to have her early. I didn't know what the NICU was. I had never heard of help syndrome. And so I used my platform to just educate others, hopefully before having their babies or even before conceiving what the risks are, especially women of color, so that you know what you're up against. And you can start to vet your doctors and look at their maternal mortality rates and C-section rates and all of those amazing things. So as I learned, Mm -hmm. I shared and um, 
then came the pandemic and it created a perfect, you know, storm for me to be home with my daughter. We had just gone through radiation um, for pulmonary fibromatosis, which we may get into later. We may not, Uh, but she has a very rare lung condition. And so radiation was our course of action. And then COVID came and shut everything down. So I had already planned a website launch that was just going to be a blog, but out of that blog came a lot more opportunities people reached out, wanted to share their stories. And before I knew it, I unofficially became a prematurity influencer. I didn't know that was a thing, Um, but that's kind of what happened. And um, also in the height of the pandemic, I heard about the Clubhouse app. And so I knew all of these amazing preemie moms like Karita and some of the others that I met. And I was like, well, we're all home. We're all bored. Let's get on Clubhouse. Let's just talk. And of course, Mm -hmm. being NICU parents, we were talking about our experiences with our kiddos. Mm -hmm. And then before I realized it, it was like eight weeks of consistency and Clubhouse was like, hey, you want to start a club? And I was like, okay. So I started a club (laughs) and I just named it Miracle Mama Club because everybody refers Mm -hmm. to Rain as the miracle baby and I'm the mama of the baby. So I was like, okay, Miracle Mama. And it just stuck. And that club that started as something just haphazardly to do grew into um, bi-weekly game nights on zoom where I was just buying like gift cards and prizes just these moms were home shut in a lot of them without family with these preemies these medically fragile babies some of them had NICU babies that they could not go visit and so if I could just provide a little bit of light in that just a second to Mm -hmm. breathe that's what I was going to do so that birthed the Miracle Mamas Club and one day, um, I knew I needed to make this more official. I just didn't know how. And one of my fellow Miracle Mamas, um, I woke up to a text from her saying, check your cash app. The time is now. And when I went to my cash app, all of the fees to do my nonprofit were in my cash app. And she sponsored Oh, my gosh. And that first Miracle Mamas uh, officially. So that is the beginning of the journey blog. Then came the merchandise. Um, I didn't see so much inclusive merchandise for us um, that was affordable. And that actually went to a great cause. Every single dime of those shirts, bags, mugs goes right back into Miracle Mamas with helping with transportation, copay, Ooh, when our moms, you know, are in the hospital with their kiddos, yeah. we're sending DoorDash and Uber Eats. And mm-hmm. you guys know, that's the last thing you want to think about. What am I going to eat or cook yeah. when you have a sick kiddo, you know? So I can't do a meal sure. train. I'm not in your city. doesn't matter if you're in Canada. I can send you this. Yeah. And so that's what mm-hmm. just grown. The Miracle Mamas Club is at over 360 members on Clubhouse, which is incredible. Wow. We are the last standing prematurity club, the longest standing and now the only standing <laughs> I'm on Clubhouse, which is incredible. And so uh, I didn't set out for any of this, but I did set out to be the answer that I wish I had five years ago. And so if I can help those families navigate that water, we were swallowing water and drowning in, then it's all worth it. So that's how it all began. Wow. That's it. But as if it was, it, you know, I mean, it's, I just like want to be so clear what you've done is like moved mountains and I don't think any everybody would have gone into the pandemic like I I barely started wearing regular clothes um you know what I mean let alone starting something from the ground up really by yourself and again you are like doing 18 full-time jobs at the same time you know and um (laughs) you know every time I see you on social media I feel like you're doing new things too like you're applying for advocacy groups, wanting to do different things, and also sharing in a really vulnerable way, particularly about the um, 
like the medically complex, you know, disabled intersection of the NICU because it's really hard, especially if like there's one post that she made that I just wanted to bring up, which was about I think you guys were in an airport and it was somebody made a comment about rain and potty training and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I read it and I burst into tears because we had the same experience with our our daughter. And it was just it was so painful because these little tiny comments from the world, they have absolutely no idea all the things that Rain has done that she's done put more work in her little four to five years of life than they have in like 55 years, right? It was a boomer, obviously. Um, But that's, so I just want to say, I love how you share so vulnerably and courageously and you make that space safe for people, you know? So thank you for doing that. Absolutely. I think we just don't have enough spaces to talk about the fallout. I don't know why we think, that kiddos fight for their lives in the NICU and then they come home or we wait with one and everything is okay. Uh, prematurity mm-hmm. has lifelong complications. And I don't think that we understand that. Um, you know, we'll hold on to our trauma for a lifetime and, and excuse it. So why can't we address the physical trauma that their bodies have gone through? And so like you're referring to that, um, that comment in the airport, it was also our first flight with rain. So we were already mm-hmm. super anxious. On we didn't know yeah. how her lungs were going to do. We didn't know what was going to happen. Thankfully she did amazing, but to get off the plate after this win and then have, this, um, you said the generation I didn't, um, older, yeah. lady, you know, just like, she's too big. And mind you, she's tall for her age. My husband's like eight foot 19, you know, so she's right. her age and, you know, she's just like, what is she seven? You know, what is she seven? Oh. She's, too, she's too big. She's cute. She's too big to be in pull-ups. And I'm like, lady, you mm. have no idea what this kid has been through. A yeah. pull-up is the least of our concern mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So we're working on it. But for now, mm-hmm. this is what it is. Would you like to contribute to the back of pull-ups? Yes, yes. <laughs> Passing around as a scarf, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it comes with the territory. I've learned to just take it and accept it and hopefully teach others how to shake that stuff off. Because if you don't, it it will really depress you. It will get you down. Mm-hmm. It'll get you comparing your child to other children. And it's just a rabbit hole that's not worth going down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a good place to introduce Karita again to the, to the episode because Karita, one thing that I love that you do so well is you're all about empowering women to be and to see themselves as the truest version of themselves. Um, 99% of what you post is just like these affirmations that make mm-hmm. me feel empowered. I'm like, oh yeah, I needed to hear that, that I can do this, that I am worthy, that I am loved. And so can you share a little bit about your story and what led you to do the work that you do so beautifully every single day? Oh, thank you. Sure. So um, much like Ebony, I wanted to create something that I felt like I needed myself. Mm -hmm. And during my Nikki journey, I felt like the biggest thing I was lacking was that support, those affirmations, that encouragement. Mm -hmm. Because while those around me were trying to be there for me and they were supporting me, you know, my church was always praying for us and everything. Nobody had walked the shoes that I I was in. Nobody knew what I was feeling. Nobody knew. I even had people say things like, oh, well, you can get a lot of sleep before he comes home. And I'm like, what? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Sleep? Like, I don't even know if he's going to live till tomorrow, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. And you think I'm going to go home and sleep. So I think the biggest thing for me was to create a space to let moms know what you're feeling is normal. Mm -hmm. It's okay. And I want to encourage you through that process. Mm-hmm. And so when I founded the Premium Promise Project initially, it was just to 
give mom something to say. Someone's thinking of you. When I send the handwritten cards to the NICU, when I send the little gift bags to the NICU, and I get the emails to say, you don't know how much that meant to me, that's why I do it. Because there's a real person out there that has been through what you've been through, that has cried the same tears that you are currently crying, that's in the same struggle, and here I am on the other side. There are still hard days, like Emmy said, a lot of times we don't talk about life after NICU, the comments that people make about your child's development or lack of development. Um, those are struggles that would be a whole nother episode <laughs> uh, in themselves. But to let just moms know that that's what I'm here for. Yeah. That is what this space is for. That is what I use my voice for. That's why I tell my story. And, and also because incompetent cervix is something that I had not heard of until after I lost my second baby. Because apparently you can't be diagnosed with it until you've had multiple miscarriages already. Um, because they say that, you know, there's a million reasons why women miscarry. Mm -hmm. So they pretty much want you to eliminate the other ones before you can get diagnosed with what's actually going on with you. And even with Isaac, they knew that something was going on with my cervix, but I didn't get my cerclage until it became an emergency. Mm -hmm. And had that emergency gone left and my water broke, they wouldn't have been able to save him because I was 21 weeks. And so all of that combined just kind of put me in a fix to say, people need to know that this is a thing. Mm -hmm. They need to know that the only way to get through this is to advocate for yourself. Use your voice. Speak up. If you need to go to a different doctor or something, do that. Because that's what I had to do. I started care at one hospital and ended up at another, and that's where I ended up delivering Isaac. Because I needed to put myself in a position where I felt empowered to do what needed to be done for myself and my son's life. And so that's kind of where even my book came from. You're still here. Um, just something for women to read to say, I know you've been through what seems like hell and back, but because you still have breath in your body, you're still here, you're still surviving and thriving. There's a purpose for you. There's work for you to do. And so that's kind of more of my take on my life after Nikki journey, just reminding the moms that that's not it. That's not where your story ends. Mm -hmm. Pregnancy loss is not where your story ends because there's so much more for you. Even if you don't start a nonprofit or you don't write a book, just being who you are and living in your truth is more than enough. Yes, right. That's gorgeous. And also, I think there's so much to, you know, I think we've all felt that because it happens in our bodies, you feel there's just so much shame. Yes. There's so much shame and um, self-hatred about it. But what your work is doing is saying, but don't forget about the resilience. Don't forget about the ways that your body and your mind saved you and your baby, yeah. you know, and it's just incredibly powerful and just, it also super necessary for anybody. I mean, yes. I, don't, I don't think it matters if you're like 15 or 20 or 30 years out of the NICU, it kind of comes and goes in waves. So yeah, beautiful. And this isn't a question that we have um, written down, but I would love to know how you guys officially met for the first time. Oh, yeah. Because you guys have this beautiful relationship, and I'm like, I don't think I know the founding story of this. You know, I'll say I don't even remember the first time that Ebony and I connected on social media, but you know how when you connect with somebody and you just click, it's kind of like yes. you just you just know kind of thing, and yeah. I feel like that's what happened. It, it's yeah. like a, a God-ordained thing that said, you know, these are two people who I know can do the work that I've assigned to them. Mm -hmm. And so here we are. 
you know, I, I truly, and it's funny because I think this has come up before. I do not remember our first interaction, but it's like, it, it, just, it just happened. Like, I don't know. It feels like we've been yeah. each other literally forever. I don't even remember. Yes. Our, I don't. Yeah. I, and you know, that's the amazing thing about social media. I tell people all the time, don't get discouraged because your family or your friends or those you can put your hands on maybe don't understand you or support you. Community mm-hmm. transcends all of that. I know people yeah. who I've met through social media who have been more of a friend um, or been more dependable than people I've known my entire life. And so, yeah. you know, it's really just about connection and just, you know, building that unity. I know, um, especially in those early days of my pages, you know, they suggest friends who have like yeah. similar pages. Yeah. And so I remember just going on like a follow spree, like anybody yeah. I could yeah. find any 26 week or 24 or whatever that was close to me. <clears throat> and that may have been how our pages connected. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I literally, I'm going to go do some homework. I'm going to go look back. Because <laughs> I do not remember. But I know when we began talking, it was before the pandemic for sure. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, it was just like, I don't know. I remember posting that I was doing a clubhouse or something and um, Karita would share it. So I'm always one of, if somebody has something going on, I'm just going to share it. I'm going to share mm-hmm. it. With stories. It takes two seconds. It's an easy yeah. way to support. It costs you nothing. Um, and I've always been willing to share my platform, even before it was as big as it is now, you know, it, it costs yeah. nothing. You know, there's room for everyone. There's something for everybody to do. And I remember her sharing it. I do remember that. And I was like, man, nowhere and she shared my stuff like that's pretty dope and then I went down her page and you know I just started seeing the story and I thought it was amazing and I started doing clubhouse and she was right there and Mm. um, game nights right there so that's just kind of how our you know bond built you know families have come and gone off of Instagram yeah some you know families don't stay for advocacy but we are two of those who've remained Mm. um and our purpose have remained you know we've not folded up our tents and gone on with like sometimes it would be easier i will admit yeah yeah, yeah definitely. let me shut the thing down and go live my life it would be so much easier mm-hmm. but then i get those inboxes like hey i have a baby in the yeah. NICU. thank you for that real that's exactly how i feel yeah. you know stuff like that so that's mm-hmm. what keeps me going and i think both of us yeah. our faith we lead with our faith and i think that's another mm-hmm. thing that drew us um we are two people what we wish we had and that's one of the things that I think Karita and I've always had in common. I think I told, um, I think it was Sarah when she was booking us. She was like, I was told that you know Karita. I was like, yeah, well, she's practically my bestie. We didn't mean to her. Right, right. Have you, right. Have you heard of Karita? <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my God. Yeah. an amazing I don't know. Book. Do you guys, Ashley and I talk about this all the time. We sometimes feel like this work is like kind of like a ministry. I don't know if you guys feel that yeah. way. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, like when you get those messages you're like it's just astounding that someone Mm -hmm. from another country another state would see it and it it makes all the difference i i mean it's just incredibly powerful and there's a a mom that i um am connected with now her daughter has encephalocele um which isaac was born with very rare uh brain defect one in i think ten thousand live births will have it but she does not speak any english so we have to use like one of those little translator apps mm-hmm. to like talk to each other. But it's been months now and it's like the most beautiful thing because mm-hmm. I know that I'm the only person that she knows who has been in that situation. So while there's a language barrier, we figured it out. And like you said, it's a ministry when there's 
a, a need, when somebody needs you for something, there's a way for you to be there for them. And so it's just when you see things like that, it's like, this is why I keep sharing. This is why I keep yeah. posting because she may not have ever found another person who, at least, you know, right now, whose child had an encephalocele and is doing okay. Because a lot of times the children don't survive after the surgery or whatever. And so even with using a, a translation app, mm-hmm. we figured it out. And I yeah. can still support her the way she needs to be supported. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way when Silas turned one and I reflected on, you know, all of that we had gone through. At that point, I had had the chance to meet women like you and, and Martha and just women in the NICU community. And I remember texting Martha, I was like, I wouldn't choose to like necessarily do that again. Like it wasn't a lot of fun to like have to go through the NICU, right? But I feel so grateful and honored that I know the amazing women that I know now. And I'm sure you guys feel that too. Like sometimes you look at your feeds and you're like, holy cow, like I know these women. I know these like remarkable kids. Like I feel like I know your guys' kids, even though I've never met them in person, you know? So I just love that there's just this huge community of people that just truly want to see each other succeed and um, who want to see their kids succeed and who are just in their corner. And so thank you guys for the work that you do. We send moms to you guys all the time of just accounts mm-hmm. that are uplifting and powerful and when yeah. you need that dose of encouragement it's like go to these women they will take care of you <laughs> they mm-hmm. got you yeah um and kind of along this um conversation about you know we're talking about family building we're talking about growing our families obviously that conversation alone is very multi-layered but would you guys be willing to just share each of your personal journeys of how you started that conversation and and how you got to where you are today. I'm sure I'll hop in. So um, my husband and I knew before we even got married, we knew that we wanted children. Children was a huge part of the legacy that we wanted to build. And, um, you know, it seemed like it, it came to us easy, but prior to rain, we had four losses prior, uh, all at various stages of pregnancy. 32 weeks stillbirth, um, 14 weeks, um, 22 weeks. Um, yeah, it, it just, it, it, the losses kept coming and we were just like, okay, maybe this is not meant to be. And at that point where we gave up and decided, you know, maybe we'll try a different route. We'll try adoption. We'll try something else is when rain came to us. Um, and it was a complete, you know, beautiful surprise, but getting through all of that with her and the NICU, um, you know, we still were just kind of like, okay, I think we're going to make peace with where our family is right now. We have rain and, you know, we should just be grateful. We got through it. But in our hearts, we just knew we weren't done. Um, we didn't push it. We didn't really have much conversation. We were just like, if it happens, it happens. Um, but I wanted to make sure that one, I had dealt with the birth trauma that came with rain. Um, that I was fully healed from not only the losses, but there was like a two and a half year period of infertility. Uh, Whereas Mm -hmm. I went from getting pregnant super easy to I did it, you know, in in two and a half, almost three years and having to recognize, okay, something's something's not quite right. Um, So I really wanted to make sure I reconciled all of that. And I dealt with all of that um, before we even had the conversation because as much as you know, we are um, faith-filled and we, we hope for the best, we don't know how our birth stories are going to end. We don't know mm-hmm. if you know there's another NICU stay or 
We just don't know. Um, especially, I know for me, my work is a bit more on the maternal health side than it is prematurity now. So, you know, I, I, I recognize all of these stories. I'm actually, I have a meeting tonight. Um, I'm on the Maryland Maternal Mortality Review Board. And so I have all these mm-hmm. medical records in front of me of people, women who have mm-hmm. died in my state during their pregnancies, mm-hmm. after their pregnancies and having to make a determination, is this pregnancy related? Um, you know, mm-hmm. was, was, oh was there a physician fault? Uh, was it drug induced? Whatever it is, we have to make those decisions. And so it was very sobering to me, you know, if you go into this, you need to go into it understanding the outcome may not be what you desired. It'll be what it's supposed to be, but you don't get to determine that ahead of time. And so I wanted to make sure that I had enough faith for the journey, that no matter what happened, um, that I could be okay, that emotionally I was going to be strong enough, physically, um, that I was in a, a better place health-wise than what I was when I got pregnant with the rain. Those are some decisions that I had to make um, and sit with my husband as well. I don't think we involve our partners as much as we should. Um, you know, of course, we're the ones doing the, you know, work of it all. But at the end of the day, they end up carrying things as well. And um, even the day I had rain was a sobering reminder that he could have been a widower and a single father all in one swoop. And so I'm I'm always being sensitive and cognizant of that. So we we had these conversations. We would check in every few months. Okay, how are you feeling about this? Do we want to make this step? And you know, we put some things in place. We put some things on paper that should something happen to either of us or both of us, this is what would happen with rain. Especially those of us who have medically fragile children or children with special needs, we really have to put that stuff on paper um, because it's just not guaranteed that anyone can handle what comes with our children, the appointments and all of that. So those are conversations that we had to have before making the decision that yes, we're gonna move forward, whether it's a loss, whether it's a NICU, uh, whether my life is threatened again, whatever the case is, we're willing to take that gamble because this is what we want. Can you speak a little bit? You said um, kind of build your faith up for the journey. Can you explain or kind of go into a little bit of what that looked like for you of how in these years you've built that faith up and you've built that perseverance up? So watching rain endure the NICU process was not only therapeutic for me, but it was a lesson in resilience. It was a lesson in, it was miracles one-on-one. I tell people all the time, God does his best miracles in the NICU. You know, Mm -hmm. to watch a baby come out at, you know, one pound, they tell you everything she won't do. And she does the exact opposite of that. Um, There were obstacles, you know, the lung collapses and all of that. But In the end, seeing her come out, not at the weight that she should have been as a three-month-old, but for us, it was still a huge victory. Um, So to others, when we left out, they were like, oh, she's so tiny. She's three months. And I'm like, no, she's big. She's actually big. (laughs) It's a matter of perception. To me, I had a one-pound baby, so she's almost seven pounds now. Of course, she's big to me. But to someone else, it may not be. And so having a faith-filled journey is much like that. You know what the end result is. You know where you've been and you know where you want to go. 
And so you can't allow other people's comments. Oh, well, you already had one NICU baby. Are you sure you want to do that? Or, oh, you almost died the last time. When I know for me, what's in my sight is the family that I know that I'm destined to have. I saw another child in my family. I knew it. I knew I wasn't just going to have one child. And so I couldn't allow those comments to um, deter me from what I wanted. And I would tell people all of the time, I thank you for your opinion. Thank you for the unsolicited parenting advice. But the last time I checked, my husband and I were the only ones sitting in the NICU and the PICU praying that our child would survive through the night. I don't recall anybody else being there. So we have to make the decisions that are best for us. Um, And my faith tells me that no matter you know, what obstacles come that we are going to get through this. We're going to get through it as a unit and that there's going to be, um, there's a saying that often says, you know, there will be glory after this. Essentially, um, on the other side of the storm, there's always a rainbow. There's always a greater purpose. Had my situation with rain gone differently, we wouldn't be sitting here. I would have never met Karita. I would have never met you guys. I wouldn't have the following that I have. I probably wouldn't even be on social media, to be honest. Um, but it happened for a reason. It happened to bring me here. And so, um, having faith for the journey for me looks like ignoring, um, facts and holding on to truth. Facts and truth are not the same thing. Facts said that rain shouldn't have been born breathing. She should 80% disability, but the truth is that she didn't. The truth is that she was destined to defy the odds to show other families that it can be done. Truth is they said we probably would never have kids. Facts are we have. Um, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, um, you know, so the facts and the truth don't always align and the difference is faith. I have faith to believe the truth um, of what has been predestined for me and not the facts of what society says. Mm, so beautiful. So beautiful. I love that so much. I think that it's such a good reminder for, for us that because I know one of you, I was trying to decide whether to grow after, you know, having our 25 week heard that at a certain point, you kind of have to like, you have to let go. I mean, there is just so much we will never, ever control in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have faith. And that's why we trust in, you know, medical providers and things like that. But I think if you are, if your heart feels like it can handle that, that uncertainty, that ability to let go of control, then, then you can, then you can do it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So true. And I knew that my, my heart, I felt in my heart that there was space being held for another baby. Um, But I had Mm -hmm. to make sure the other part of my heart was healed from what happened to me so that Mm -hmm. I wasn't bleeding on that experience so that I didn't allow, you know, fear to overshadow my entire journey. I wanted to enjoy that baby when they came and not be exhausted because, you know, I'd overextended myself. I worried myself after death before they got here. So healing is definitely necessary for the journey as well. Yes, wisely. Karita, how about you, my friends? Sure. So much like Ebony, faith was definitely at the forefront of me even getting to a point of deciding we're going to do this again. And I remember after I had Isaac, anyone who knows me said that was it. Isaac was going to be an only child. I was adamant. I would get offended if people asked me when we were having more kids because I was like, are you crazy? Like, do you not know my story? Like, have you not been following this journey? And so one day I was just kind of just thinking to myself and I'm like, 
there's a part of my heart that really wants another child. And then Isaac said to me one day, he's like, because my sisters have two kids each. And he goes, they have a brother. I don't have a brother. Why don't I have a brother? And I was like, well, <laughs> because mommy's not ready to relive those moments. You know, we can't control. Like Emmy said, we can't control if we end up in the NICU again. We can't control if there's another pregnancy loss. Um, I had two before Isaac, one after. You don't really know what's going to happen. And so I prayed about it and I was like, God, if it's meant for us to have another child, let my husband bring it up. I said, that's how I'll know for sure. You're telling me that it's okay. And one day my husband came in from work and he goes, Isaac, do you think you'd like to be a big brother one day? I think you make a really good big brother. And it was like this cute little moment, but I just like burst into tears because talk about an answered prayer. Like if it gets any clearer than that, like God himself will be coming down to talk to me on my back. <laughs> so I, I think that for me made it okay for us to say this because I had no matter what comes out of this, I know that I'm doing what I should be doing. Mm-hmm. No matter how this pregnancy ends in the NICU or pregnancy loss, full term, you know, perfectly healthy baby, there's a purpose for it. There's a reason why I'm on this journey again. And so I think for me, that was the biggest thing. But if I can be honest, I did not really have peace for probably my first 13 or 14 weeks of pregnancy. I thought I had done so much of the work, the healing work, right? Yeah, my heart is in a better place. My mind's in a better place. But it was like every little thing was like, I shouldn't have did this. We shouldn't have tried this again. Like, nope. I don't know what I was thinking. And when I got my cercage at 13 weeks, it was perfect. Everything went fine. A few days later, I had some bleeding. And I go, nope. I knew it. I shouldn't have done this again. And I had to really work through that. You know that no matter what happens, this is the journey that you are meant to be on. You are destined to walk this walk. And now at almost 27 weeks, I have fully embraced this pregnancy. I have embraced this journey. No matter what comes of it, if it's a NICU journey, a short one, a long one, no NICU stay at all, I don't know, but I know that I'll be okay because I've been okay before. We've done this before. We've survived this before. So whatever comes of this, I'll be okay. And I think that's what gives me the peace that I need to keep navigating this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. And maybe, I know you, you kind of led into it a little bit, but how did you find out, Karita, that you were pregnant? Um, sure. Yeah, and how did you feel like when you saw it? Because that kind of, I mean, all of a sudden it comes like, it's like hypothetical. You're like, well, yeah. this could happen, this could happen. And then it's super real. Yes. I actually, it was the weekend of our two-year wedding anniversary. And my husband, we were just kind of, you know, talking. And I was like, something feels weird. But I don't want to get my hopes up because that would almost be too good to be true. That Like we get this exciting news right at our wedding anniversary. Mm-hmm. I was like, but something is, we're just going to go ahead and take a test and see and immediately it was positive mm. and I cried but not happy tears like I was yeah. so I was expecting to be so excited and so happy but I was terrified yeah and I FaceTime my husband at work I had this whole thing in my mind that I was gonna do this cute little announcement for him 
excuse me, I was like, the next time I get pregnant, I'm going to do this cute little announcement for my husband. It'll be so perfect. No, I FaceTime him at work, bawling my eyes out. <laughs> and I was like, I'm pregnant. And he's like, what? I was like, I'm pregnant. He's like, why are you crying? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so it did not go how we planned you know i wanted it to be this happy exciting moment um and it was not that at all because immediately fear kicked in yeah. and i had to get to a place where i couldn't let fear steal the joy and excitement of this miraculous experience mm-hmm. yeah i appreciate you saying that though because i think so many moms in that position feel shame that they didn't feel this like overwhelming excitement and that they felt fear in the first place. And so anytime that we can normalize that and say, no, it makes sense why you were feeling this way. You aren't alone in that is so affirming because when, when it's just you, you're like, is something wrong with me? Like, shouldn't I be like jumping up and down, but it makes sense why that would be the first emotion that we feel. So I appreciate you drawing back to that because Mm -hmm. it just reminds us that we're not alone. Yeah. So good. And Ebony, you have over the years, I mean, anybody who's had an infertility journey has like a love-hate relationship with pregnancy tests. First of all, they're so darn expensive. I remember I ordered a bunch on Amazon that were like shipped directly from China. All the instructions were in Mandarin. I was like, I don't know if, if these work or not. Um, but you've t- you've taken probably a bazillion of over the, you know, your lifetime. How did you feel when you got a positive pregnancy test? So I knew about a week before I actually did it. Um, I just knew. I knew. For mm-hmm. some reason, my body is super sensitive to HCG. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, my body immediately is like, oh, something's wrong. Something, something's up. Something's up. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, last um, last February, we found out we were pregnant and super excited and all of that. Um, but that pregnancy ended at 10 weeks, which was like a cruncher. Cause I'm like, man, I felt like we defied this already, you know, like yeah. oh, another loss. Okay. All right, here we are. Um, and that came on the heels of me losing about a hundred pounds. And, um, yeah. um, you know, I was doing so much better health wise. So I felt like I was in a good place. And then for that to happen was like crushing. So mm-hmm. I, um, when I got that similar feeling again, like something was up tired and, smells were like super amplified. I just, I ignored it for like a week. And I was like, mm, uh, whatever. And every day, one of my friends who I had been talking to was like, take the test, take the test. And I was like, no, I'm not. And then my husband was like, take the test. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not, I'm not doing it. Um, it has to be something else. It has to be something else. Until one day he made like this blueberry coffee and was cooking bacon at the same time. And I wanted to kill him. Kill him. <laughs> the smells were so obnoxious. And I was like, okay, Ebony, enough is enough. Just mm-hmm. And so anybody who's been through infertility, like you said, we have stashed. So I've ordered those bulk mm-hmm. strip tests. Uh, yeah. I have the ovulation one. I have the pregnancy ones. And mm-hmm. I big, so I poured it out of the back of this, you know, from under my sink. And I was like, oh, here we go. And I took one of each out. I don't know why I do this every time. I took an ovulation one out and I took a pregnancy test out, dipped them both. And before I could turn around, they were both lined. Wow. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, the ovulation one was like super dark. The pregnancy one was light. So anybody um, who's been in infertility knows ovulation tests can pick up pregnancy at the beginning because the hormones are so similar. So I was like, well, the ovulation was dark, but the pregnancy one's not. Mm, no and my husband was like do another one 
So I did another one and the line did come up. It took a little second. So we were due to go off for a little lunch date. So we left, went on lunch date. I went and brought two of the digitals in the pack mm-hmm. um, out of Target. And I was like, okay, this is the test of truth. Let me do it. Dipped it. And you know, it's normally like four bars. It went from one bar to four in like 30 seconds. <laughs> oh my and God. Up, boom, pregnant. And I was like, oh. Oh, wow. Ooh, okay. And like for a second, fear like consumed me like this isn't gonna go well but then the other part of me was like no you just you, you have to let go and you have to believe if you start off like this it's not it's not gonna go well um and even those literally a week after I found out I was pregnant uh we started hemorrhaging and it was like oh here we go it was very similar to what I just gone through earlier that year and I'm just like here we go same old thing he went to the emergency room Oh, we see a sack. We see a baby. We don't see a heartbeat yet. Come back in a couple of days. Came back in a couple of days. Baby's there. Heartbeat. Um, it got worse. Um, hemorrhaging got much, much worse every time. There would be the baby chilling, heartbeating. And I'm like, where is this coming from? And the doctor finally was like, look, you know, I understand your history. I understand. But for now, until you experience severe pain or some of these other symptoms, let's just trust that everything's okay. And after about three weeks, Everything started subsiding. The the mm-hmm. super sick feelings intensified. My ATG numbers were always perfect. And after that, I was like, okay, Ebony, you just literally have to chill. Just surrender to this yeah. process. You can't control it. You don't know how it's going to go. And after that, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had such such a piece. And during that time was also that 10-week mark where we had experienced that other loss. So, you know, I was just super anxious through that. But once we got through that, just like, okay, I just have to surrender. Just surrender to this. You are pregnant. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen and you're going to be okay. You have survived 100% of your losses. You have survived 100% of yesterday's. Today's no different. So I just started taking it a day at a time. And now here we are. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love I First of all, I love the um, pregnancy test hierarchy. I also have the way, it's like, I will use the dollar store ones, and if then those are positive, then I will go up to the first response, and then if that's positive, then I will get the clear blue digital because I'm not made of money. They're so like twenty four dollars. <laughs> like who is so expensive? That? And you know, my mind, oh my I was thinking, oh, I can put it in my baby book because you know those stay po- those the, yeah. the digital ones stay on for like seven months or something. Yeah. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm gonna put it in my baby book if it's positive. Oh, that's gonna be so dope. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a hierarchy. There's definitely a hierarchy. Of yes. <laughs> Um, I, I didn't. I skipped the hierarchy because I was so terrified that the little faint line were like that. I literally took twelve tests, oh. and I still have them all because I was like, something has to be wrong with you. Like, what? Is, <laughs> this is not normal. But you I, know, yeah. like Abby said, yeah. I was like, no, something else has to tell me that it's like I'm pregnant because I don't know mm-hmm. about this. But yeah, there, there's definitely that um, hierarchy and, and retesting and retesting mm-hmm. kind of thing that you just keep doing until you feel comfortable with saying I'm pregnant. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Totally. <laughs> so what else are you both doing? You know, we talked a lot about you heal beforehand, but like the experience being pregnant again brings back a lot of memories for both of you. Cause you both experienced the highs and lows of NICU and loss. And what other things are you doing to kind of help and encourage yourself as you go through every day? Sure. I think one of the biggest things for me is that um, medically, I am not as 
timid or afraid or anything to speak up for myself um, as I was initially when I was pregnant with Isaac. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really find my voice until I felt like it was almost too late for him. So with me, I went into this pregnancy like I don't care what they tell me is normal or what all pregnant women go through. I want you to hear me. I want to be checked for whatever it is that I think is going on. And I think that has also given me a lot of peace that if I go to labor and delivery and they send me home in 10 minutes and say, I'm fine, that's fine. I'm okay with that. But at least I went and I know that I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I know that you guys heard me. You guys did what I needed you to do. And that's okay. So God forbid I ever am in a situation like I was in with Isaac where my body was starting to kind of show signs of labor that were ignored for a week. Um, Hopefully it doesn't happen like that again. And then just kind of using my faith to navigate this journey and, and find my peace in those days that I do feel overwhelmed or I do feel afraid. You know, as I was approaching week 26, it was terrifying because I was like, I just, in my mind, it was like something had convinced me that I was going to go into labor when I made 26 weeks. Because with Isaac, the day I turned 26 weeks, I went into labor. Um, and so I was anticipating that again. But just kind of using my faith and navigating through that journey and and allowing myself to feel what I needed to feel, but to know that this isn't permanent. You cannot stay in this place. You are literally going to miss your entire pregnancy experience and have no good memories of carrying this child that you prayed desperately for because you're living in fear. And I refuse to do that to myself. So that's kind of the thing that has kept me going on this journey. And I know for me, um, journaling has been really helpful. So I brought this book. Um, it's called it's called Preggers, Preggers something. It's like a journal where you basically journal from finding out that you're pregnant or even planning a pregnancy mm-hmm. all the way through. And every week it has these different prompts. How are you feeling? What are you eating? How are your appointments? Um, any feelings that you're feeling? And writing that stuff down has been super, super helpful for me. Um, but to be honest, um, and to back up a second, when I found out I was pregnant, I waited like a week, I think before I really, um, felt like I was okay to tell someone. And, uh, I don't know if I told you this, Karita, but you were the first person I told outside of my family. I text Karita and I was like, Karita, oh my God. And I sent her a picture of like the line ones. And then I think the one with the words and I was like, oh my God, this is happening. And I remember it was like a few minutes before she was on. She was like, oh my God, congratulations. But I'm pregnant too. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I was just in the house screaming like, oh my God, oh my God. I went to my hotel box. I was like, Karina's pregnant too. So I remember <laughs> last year when I went through the loss, Karina was super, she was amazing through that. Um, amazing through that. And I remember saying like, man, I hope it happens for us together. I hope it happens for us. Like that would be so dope for us to walk through this together. And she was like, yeah, it would, it would. And um, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to put a lot of faith and stock in it, you know, because I didn't want to be disappointed. And I gave up hope on myself anyway. So I was just like, as long as she has another baby, fine. You know, I was good with that. I was happy for her. But um, yeah, I could not have planned this better. I could not have planned this better. Uh, we're a few That's weeks so apart, funny. but um. Yeah, I couldn't have planned this better. And then my baby is due to come um, about a month um, ahead due to having a classical. So my baby's going to be a 36, 37 weeker. So our babies are going to be super close together. Um, God willing, her baby holds out um, Mm -hmm. and comes full term. Our babies will be 
literally born within the same week. Um, oh my gosh, that's wild. Yeah, so that's that's gonna oh. be absolutely amazing. Um, I could not have asked for a better, and even with the anxieties that come with pregnancy, like having somebody that I could talk to who actually mm-hmm. gets it, um, who could relate, I could have asked for anything better. Um, so I'm so glad to take this journey. And when we got the request and I saw Karita's na- um, name on the email, I was like, wow, we're going to do this. As, so yes. cool. As Sarah says, how do you know Karita? Um, <laughs> And oh I think gosh. one of the most exciting parts for me, like Emmy said, we we've journeyed through loss together mm-hmm. and to be in a position where we get to celebrate what comes mm-hmm. on the other side, I think is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, the year before Ebony had a loss, I had a loss. And so then she supported me through that. And, you know, and so I think just kind of getting to that place where, like she said, no matter what happens, we got each other. If, if it's just you, if it's just me, if it's both of us, whatever. And look what happened so that's wild that's wow. so be so beautiful and also just like kind of divine you know mm-hmm. um and beautiful that you get to lean on each other in that way because uh, it is it's like no one knows that uh the experience as intimately as you guys do and and to have be able to lean on each other mm-hmm. um is so cool um yeah. we do also you know want to bring up to i think you know particularly ebony with your professional experiences and um, you know, as an ambassador that you've been for March of Dimes, I think everybody listening, I would hope everybody knows that there's, there remains a huge maternal health disparity for black women in America. And unfortunately, I think our grade got worse this year. I mean, if you don't, if you're not aware of it, just uh, go Google and, and educate yourself because it's really important. Um, and I know, Ebony, you talked in your episode a lot about how you were dismissed and um, your concerns about your blood pressure were dismissed and, and the reality of it is um, that things might have been different. So what are ways um, that you've approached these, these pregnancies differently with that experience in mind? You know, um, I know, Ebony, you then also have this whole other realm of your life where you read about those outcomes day to day in real life and you see those numbers. Um, how's that changed how you approach your pregnancy and advocate for your own care? So I made a decision after the last pregnancy to do something drastically different. So the pregnancy last year, I went back to that same hospital, that same medical group um, where I had brain. The doctors were different. So I was fairly confident that everything would be okay. Um, But I realized very quickly that it was triggering. It was very triggering. Um, I always get a little sweaty, a little clammy, a little nervous riding past the hospital where she was in the NICU, but riding past the doctor's offices, which is like a block down, I just, I like froze. It just brought so many memories back. And then to last year, go for a routine ultrasound and in that very same building, see that my baby didn't have a heartbeat on the screen was like, burn this building down. I'm done with it. (laughs) Like I'm done with it. So I knew then I had to do something different. And so I had to put on my advocate hat and start looking into C-section rates and maternal mortality rates here in my area. What are the different hospitals? Yes, this hospital is seen as the best, um, you know, best hospital, best teaching hospital, but who else has rates that are comparable um, where I can get representation, um, you know, and just more holistic care than what I received. 
and yeah. um, I chose a different system in our area. They just built, so this system is the University of Maryland, but they have hospitals all over Maryland. They just built this hospital that's about 15 minutes away from me. I mean, brand spanking new. Mm-hmm. It's not even a year old yet. And um, when I found out that they had, like, they just built the physician's buildings, I was like, oh, maybe I should check them out. And from my first visit, I went in treating it like an interview. That's what I tell all moms to do. Mm-hmm. Picking a doctor is not a, a, a definite decision. If you, you don't feel like you're heard or you're seen or your concerns are not being met, your questions aren't answered, pick another doctor. You're not locked in. You don't have to stay stuck. And so I went in treating it like an interview and never left. The first person that I met was a 72-year-old midwife who had been delivering babies for 50-something years. And after her reading my file, she was just like, oh, we're having a full-term baby. We're having a full-term baby, mom. This is what we're going to do. And then the next appointment, I met um, the actual physician, um, you know, who was um, a man, which was new for me. Um, He was amazing. And then the maternal... um, the MFN, the maternal fetal medicine doctor was another man. And this, this whole care team, and I would have taken a, a team of, of any ethnicity for sure. My last one, nobody looked like me in my last birth team, but now I have a yeah. whole team of people who look like me, who understand the disparities, who get it and have, yep. you know, so many years of expertise. And so they've all heard me. They've been super diligent in all of their requests. I have the doctors, I mean, direct numbers. If I need to call in the middle of the night, I can, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're just super, super diligent. They do not dismiss anything. Um, even when I had all that hemorrhaging, they would throw an order in for an ultrasound like it was nothing. And he was like, above all, I can believe you're okay, but I need you to know that you're okay. So go get this ultrasound so I can prove to you that you're okay. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew I was in good hands because he heard yeah. me. He heard me. Yeah. And they also make my husband work at appointments. They make him operate the Doppler at appointments. I was like, yes, <laughs> oh. do something, please. Yes. Uh, so that was cool. But um, yeah, I've approached this one with a little bit more, um, of course, education, knowing the statistics, um, knowing how to find and access access those rates, um, you know, whether it's the, you know, mortality or C-section rates, et cetera. Even though I have to have a C-section, it is still a red flag if if a hospital or a group has a 70% C-section rate. That is a huge red flag. So, you know, just doing all of that research is definitely how I've approached it differently. Mentally, just making sure that I am not comparing this pregnancy to Reigns or to any other pregnancy, just letting it Mm -hmm. be completely individual um, in everything, symptoms, everything, um, just letting it be what it is and not trying to make it what I want it to be. The end goal is victory. And I'm going to take that victory however it comes. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Victory would be a good name. <laughs> so um, his name actually um it means victor it means conqueror so he and rain's names first and middle names have identical meanings oh my, oh my gosh that's so I'm cool has been too so yeah oh, i love that um i think those are all i love that those are really like logistical things because i think all of us on the call well maybe this is just being a nikki mom or a medical mom or whatever you become you like become very tactical, like, okay, I'm going to do this. This is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to create systems for yourself. But I think also it's like very, sometimes I think you think that you have to stick with what you've got, but um, it's empowering to hear that you found a care team 
that responds in the way they should from day one. And we don't have to, we don't have to wait and see, right? You can make the call and make the change yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Much like Ebony said, I think finding the right care team made all the difference because as I mentioned earlier, I was kind of being seen at two hospitals when I was pregnant with Isaac. And one hospital was extremely dismissive of me, my concerns, what I had going on. And the one that I started to see in the latter part of my pregnancy is where we ended up delivering where he's in the NICU. So I knew immediately I was just going with this team to begin with. I was not even thinking about the other hospital because you guys literally could have ended up in a situation where my son and I neither made it out of this situation. And so I couldn't risk doing that again. Um, So for me, choosing where I got my care was huge. And then making my concerns known from the beginning and then seeing how they responded. Because if it was a response where they made it seem like I was being overdramatic or they weren't going to give me all these appointments, all these ultrasounds, they didn't see my pregnancy as a priority or high risk, those would have all been red flags for me. But I got the complete opposite response. Like Ebony said, whatever I called, I got an ultrasound. I'm cramping. I don't know. Okay, let's come in for an ultrasound, get some lab work done. Um, I'm having spotting, whatever. There, I've had two um, stays in labor and delivery already just because they wanted to make sure that I was not contracting. I wasn't um, going into labor. My cervix wasn't opening. Opposed to with Isaac, everything was considered normal. No matter what I said, they just kept saying that's normal in pregnancy. Mm. And my labor and delivery was everything but normal. And so getting a team who hears you, who sees you, who understands your concerns and understands your history, because a lot of times you'd be surprised how many times you sit down with a doctor and they look at you like they have no clue why you're there. Right. They have no clue what your chart says. They, oh, you had three miscarriages. Oh, I I must have missed that. Oh, my God. It's like, oh, well, that's a pretty big part of my chart. So Things like that are definitely something that you want to keep your eyes open for and run the other way if you experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. I love it when you sit down someplace and they, you feel like you're you're like inconveniencing like a medical <laughs> yeah. health provider. You're like, this is your job. I'm just I'm just here. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, I have COVID. Sorry, I'll go away. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really hard. And I think you also like we're all conditioned to see doctors and nurses is kind of um well they know they know everything so then what do I but like you are the expert on your own body right there is nobody who is the expert on your experience other than you so Mm -hmm. that's that's a really powerful way to think about it yeah in the NICU the the providers that I appreciated the most were the ones that always um listened to me as a mom so I can imagine in pregnancy it's the same exact thing the NPs that would look at me and say, yeah, I know I know my job, but you're the mom. You know your baby best, always empowered me. So it's the same thing in pregnancy, finding those providers that, yeah, I know obstetrics, that's what I studied, but you know your body. You're the one living in it. Like, I think that's so powerful to have providers that truly appreciate and, and want your voice involved in your pregnancy. It's yeah. beautiful. Um, we are already at an hour. I feel like we could talk for five hours with you guys. Know, this is so fun. I, I know. And it's like, I just want to catch up with you guys because it's been so long since we've had the chance to just connect here. But for sake of time, um, maybe kind of how we close our episodes is just offering some encouragement. And so, um, as we kind of continue this season of family building after NICU, 
you know, what encouragement would you give to moms who newly find themselves um, pregnant after their NICU or loss journeys? So I would tell a mom, um, whether it was planned or unplanned, to first of all, breathe. Um, I can't speak for anyone else, but for me, um, the first thing I wanted to do was just hold my breath like, oh my God, what's about to happen? I was trying to see all the way to delivery and the test just said positive. Um, just taking each, you know, if you have to take it minute by minute, second by second, do that. Um, but just breathe, take it a minute at a time, take it a second at a time and understand that, you know, no matter what happens, you were built for this. You were destined for this. You're going to be okay. Well, just take it a second by second, moment by moment, and um, making sure that you're prioritizing your mental health because you're going to need that mental fortitude to get through this. Um, anxiety is, is absolutely going to be there waiting at the door every day whether it's every trip to the bathroom, every pain, every doctor's appointment, every ultrasound, it's like you're holding your breath because you just know something's gonna go wrong. And um, if you don't deal with that anxiety, if you don't talk about it, if you don't get on top of it, it will consume you. And you'll look back and realize, I've not enjoyed this pregnancy. And I did that with Rain. You know, I put myself on bed rest because I was so scared I was gonna lose her. And I didn't get to do the things, you know, by the time I decided to, Ooh, I can breathe a little bit. You know, we announced, I think at 24 weeks that we were pregnant publicly, I had her two weeks later, you know, so I didn't get to do the maternity shoots and the showers I planned and all of that. Now I've had my baby shower planned for like two months already. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to make sure that I do all the things, you know, looking up the maternity, you know, photographers and all of that. Um, I wanted to enjoy it and I would not have enjoyed it if I had not dealt um, with that, that anxiety. So just know that no matter what, um, every pregnancy is different. Um, you're going into this wiser, um, knowing what to look for. And should you find yourself in the NICU again, not all, not only are you more, you know, um, knowledgeable about the conditions and what happens, but you're in a better position to advocate for your child because you've been here before. And so forging those relationships in the NICU and, you know, walking in, understanding what's ahead of you makes you better equipped for the journey. Um, but lastly, I would say to make sure that you do all the things. If you had your baby early and ended up in the NICU and you didn't get to um, take the pictures, don't let society tell you to wait till you're 32 weeks to take maternity pictures. Take them at 20 weeks if you want to. Um, you don't have to wait um, until you're you know, almost due to do a registry. Do your registry at 12 weeks if you want to. Do all the things and have absolutely no regrets. You can't control the outcome, but you do have a part in the journey and you should definitely enjoy the journey no matter how long it is. I'm just going to go ahead and, and piggyback off what Ebony said. The most important thing for me would be enjoy the journey. And if you're in a situation where you've experienced loss before, you've been in the NICU before, give yourself grace because you're going to feel some things. You're going Some emotions may arise. You may get triggered here and there. Give yourself grace in those times, but don't let it swallow you. Don't let it steal your experience. Don't let it steal your joy of going through the journey. And one of the biggest things for me was not going, like I mean, said, by the societal rules of when you should do things, when you should have a registry, when you should have a baby shower, when you should take maternity pictures. You do it at your own pace because you know that you don't want to miss those experiences again. Mm -hmm. And so 
you want to have those memories, that joyous occasion of, you know, oh, I took maternity pictures finally, because for me, this is going to be my first time getting to that point. Um, and so that's a huge deal for me, you know, getting my baby registry done was a huge deal for me. And allow yourself to celebrate those things. Don't worry about what other people are saying or what you should be doing. Celebrate every single milestone of your pregnancy and give yourself grace on the days that you don't feel like celebrating or you don't feel like you deserve to celebrate, but don't stay there. Mm. Yeah. I love that the theme throughout this episode has just been one of giving moms listening permissions, permissions to advocate, permissions to savor, permissions to enjoy, permissions to change your mind, permissions to change providers, you know, permissions to have those showers and photos earlier than the typical 34 weeks or 36 weeks. Um, So to all of our mamas listening here today, we just hope that you hear that throughout this message that you have permission. In fact, you are deserving of those permissions. Um, We did an episode recently with Parija and we talked about how oftentimes it feels like we had no choice. Our choices were taken away from us. We didn't choose our NICU journeys. We didn't choose our early pregnancies. And so we kind of bring that into future joys of, well, I don't have a choice because it was taken from me. But um, I hope, mamas, that through this episode, you just, you hear this reiterated over and over that you do have permissions. You do have choices. If you want to celebrate at 12 weeks and have your shower, you get to do that. It's okay to do that. Um, And so to all of our mamas who are expecting after NICU, this sisterhood is with you. We are with you every step of the way. Um, Our community, Carita's community, Ebony's community, we're all connected by heart. And so please lean on us. Please rely on us. That is exactly why we exist. And to all of our mamas who are in that kind of gray period of making those decisions, we're also with you. And so no matter where you are in your journey, just know that there's a sisterhood of women um, who are with you and here to support you along the way. So thank you, Ebony and Karita, for being here. We love you guys so much, and we can't wait to see um, how your kids grow up together. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me on again. It's been great. Just like last time, it was an amazing experience. So thank you all so much. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Uh, definitely enjoyed it. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys um, on and off of social media. And uh, Karita being here was just icing on the cake. So thank yes. you guys for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Maniki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.